The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, we have the first woman to lead a Marine combat unit, Lieutenant Colonel Michelle McCander. But, um... Recruiting ads. What do you what do you think about uh, recruiting ads and some of the changes? So it used to be, you know, you very, you know, um, in the eighties we had, um, we don't promise you a rose garden. Um, the few, the proud. We've had, you know, um, the changing dynamics of the of the recruiting campaign and posters. It sort of shows you what what our cultural reach is out uh, as an institution. What do you think those changes mean? And and you know, free a man to fight. That used to be the phrase for women: free a man for to fight. Um, how do you think that has changed and shows uh, um, the military now, the Marine Corps in particular? Yeah, I think the Marine Corps in particular has been really good about this. Um, like, if you remember Army, it was. Um, you know, be all you can be when I was growing up was very powerful. And then Army of One, I just think that kind of missed the mark. And then you have some of the services that are kind of focused on, you know, join the Air Force and get an education, something along those lines. Um, but I think the Marine Corps has always kind of been, you know, this is what we do. We make Marines and we win wars. And whether it's, we don't promise you a rose garden or you're slaying a dragon or climbing a mountain, like there is still always in the Marine Corps the you know, the focus on overcoming adversity and um, being an outstanding uh, And I think, you know, some of the changes that we've seen is we actually had a commercial that that focused on a female. It was a, a good friend of mine, Major Aaron um, Demchko, who was actually out of Monterey a few years back. Um, but, you know, she was the first female face of a military campaign. But still, it was focused. She's a logistics officer, and she, you know, it, goes through her life as a young girl um, and then playing rugby and then she becomes, um, you know, an, a logistics officer that's, that's leading a convoy under attack. So there still is, I think, a lot of focus on what it is that we ultimately care about, which isn't so much the added benefits of, you know, you get, we, we make you smarter or we give you an education or you get to see the world. Like it still is a focus on war fighting and always have been. But you're right. The, Free man to fight, like that's come a long way. But I, I think that Marine Corps kind of has really kept an eye on what we really care about as a Marine Corps. Yeah, man, no, it, it's ingrained in our culture. You know, every Marine rifleman, uh, every every officer is a provisional rifle platoon commander. Everybody, right. no matter what you do, is focused on the uh, the last fifty meters. You know, closing the gap mm-hmm. and taking taking uh, terrain. Um. And it's it's interesting because we that is a cultural thing that is the Marine Corps. You know, you can you can you know give a Marine a mission, tell them like just get things done, and they'll get things done. Um, yeah, Army of One. I don't really get. I think it was supposed to be officer and enlisted. Like I I think it was supposed to be an acronym that they completely lost, and and we're selling the you know one guy will win the war. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I just remember thinking, what, what are you thinking? Go back to be all that you can be. Cause that was, that was a really powerful message. Yeah. 
you're asking people to become a, their better self. Um, that's part of an organization, right? That's a, that's a big part of the Marine Corps. It's not, it never is about you. It's about your role in the, in the greater good. Yeah, you as part of the team, you know, mm -hmm. um, because uh, you're as only as good as the Marines around you, and you're as only as good as, as, as you can be within the team because we don't do anything by ourselves. Um, you know, and speaking of, of what we're here for, since you're at school, you're at a, um, a top-level school, what, what is next? What's next year? What's, what's coming down the pipeline? What do you want and what's the Marine Corps giving you because of needs of the Marine Corps? Yeah, so there's kind of, there's sort of a path that is expected. So, you know, post-command, post-top-level school, uh, there's kind of two ways that you go. If you're already joint complete, you've already um, spent time in your, as a joint qualified officer, then you usually go back to a utilization tour with the Marine Corps. And if not, then usually you're going to go and get joint qualified. Um, I have not done any joint time. Uh, and so that's what I was expecting when I talked to the monitor. But I also had asked to go to the uh, National Capital Region, mostly because my wife works with the Smithsonian, and I kind of, you know, I knew it would be but for her career, we've made a lot of decisions for my career the last few years. Um, but the minor kind of priorities prioritizes folks that are already in the National Capital Region. So any Marines that are attending top-level school at you know National Defense University or Marine Corps University. So my monitor offered me a very unique deal to get me into the DC area. It's not joint, but I'm headed to the Center for Strategic and International Studies which is a think tank in DC. And so it's gonna be a military fellowship for a year. Um, and then I'm gonna PCA to a joint billet after that, uh, likely in the Pentagon for a two year tour there. Uh, so probably, um, let's see, this next next year, so summer of next year, I'll screen for Colonel. And then if the Marine Corps sees fit to keep me around, I'll screen for Colonel Command the summer after that. So that's kind of my future for the next few years. But like immediately, I just, I get to fill my brain for another year or so directly from school to a think tank. Um, so I just, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that opportunity. That does sound exciting. Um, you know, different. We've talked about the changes in the Marine Corps, your lived experiences. Oh, you know what? You had a, you had a billet, a joint billet, ma'am, in, um, I want to say it was Afghanistan, the counter narcotics with the FBI. That sounds really cool. Um, what was that like, and was it an awesome job, or was it um, cooler sounding than it than it seems? Well, so there, so I filled two different individual augments during my time at the Marine Corps. So the one of them was I was a I was a, I was a box captain, um, serving as the uh, liaison to the FBI in Iraq, and then as a mid grade major, I got assigned to another individual augment and that one was it was it's very strange because both of those you know almost close to a decade apart probably um were in this teeny tiny little office within central commands known as the joint interagency action group or then became the interagency action group when i came back a second time but just random ias one of them i was serving from an operational unit in ninth uh, 9th ESB out in Okinawa, Japan, and one of them I was serving from Expeditionary Warfare School. But I went to the same small shop, and 
the second time it was working counter narcotics, uh, really working very closely with the DEA. And I mean, the, the first job, I was mostly arranging travel for them and military convoys and that sort of thing. It wasn't exceptionally sexy, but uh, it gave me a look into the, the embassy at, at, uh, in Baghdad. Um, you know, I was living in the green zone. I was working with pretty much everybody, like all the different agencies that were there. So I think it gave me, as a young officer, really an awesome perspective on how the interagency operates. And then same kind of thing when I went back uh, to Afghanistan working with the, the counter-narcotics gig. Uh, the job itself wasn't that sexy. It was just mostly paperwork, and I was supporting the DEA to do their job. But just walking around uh, in an embassy, it's just so very different from what we normally do in the Marine Corps. Uh, but it was, those were both awesome. Those were both IAs that I did not want to fill, and I thought they were kind of you know taking me from the path that I was supposed to be on. But they were both amazing experiences, and I'm really glad I got to do them. That does sound pretty cool. And those those don't count yeah. as joint billets because it sounds sort of joint to me. Like maybe yeah, you know. no, it was. I, <laughs> I worked central commands, but they were um, six months at a time. So I don't. I think that I could have submitted some paperwork and everything, but um, I think normally you're supposed to have uh, two years of joint time. So I still I still have to go joint in order to get that credit. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, that'd be that's interesting. Um, the um, counter narcotics, I just it it sounds like to me. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, why would we care? But uh, you know, the number one producing heroin country is is Afghanistan, so that makes sense. I'm just trying to think of what narcotics come out of like. Well, yeah. it was mostly, so it was, was the Central Command was mostly helping to fund the, the um, Afghan internal ability to fight narcotics. But, so it was mostly managing the programs that allowed um, the, you know, the Army and the police to better manage the program themselves in Afghanistan. Okay, that makes sense. Have you read uh, McMaster's uh, book, uh, Dear Election of Duty? Uh -huh. Yeah, that was very fascinating. When you talk about civil-military relations and just, you know, at least from H.R. McMaster's perspective, it, you know, they were stretched to the point of breaking. Um, and that had a very real impact on on what that meant for victory. So, yeah, that was, that was a great read. Very fascinating. If you, if you would like to hang your hat on one word, what would it be? Oh. Okay. Um, so I would say courage. And like for me, what that means is being able to listen to my true self and do what I think is right, regardless of how comfortable it makes me feel. So that's something that I'm working on. But I think, you know, when I think about what is truly important to me, it is being a courageous person. person. And that means, you know, my, my actions have to align with my values. So, uh, I don't like confrontation, but I can't let things go by anymore that are not in line with who I think I am as a person. And this is all very vague. I guess I can give a little bit of specifics on that. But if someone says something that I think is not in alignment with my morals, if someone says something that I, you know, consider racist or, you know, not considering other people's feelings, then I'm, I, 
I need to be able to stand up and address that type of behavior. Um, and like a little bit in the Marine Corps, you know, you have a, someone that's standing up in front of a group and says, hey, gentlemen, and I'm obviously in that group. <laughs> like, I think part of my job is I need to do a little bit of education on that. And just, you know, it's just ladies and gentlemen, it's not that hard. Just be inclusive with what you are saying. Um, but I think if I had to hang my head on anything, it's, it's to try to be as courageous as I can. So I think we'll wrap up with, with a few um, easy questions. What's your most, oh my God, moment that you had in command? Oh my God, moments. I think two come to mind on that. Um, the first one was really when the message came out that said I was going to command for CEB. Um, I was a, the one math engineer at the time. And like this was way back when, if you remember AHS messages, I'm, I'm sure you do as an edge. Um, so the AHS would release a few hours before our admin. So I would say that I was checking the message board regularly. And I said regularly, it was probably obsessively. It was, it was absolutely obsessively. Uh, patience is not really one of my strong points. Um, and I, you know, I kind of, I figured I was competitive for command, but I also knew the other names that, you know, that I was competing against. And there's a lot of really amazing rock stars in my community on the same board. So I, I certainly did not think that I was a shoe in for my first choice. So I'm, you know, the, I'm at math and my math sergeant, he says, the message has been released and he drops print out on my desk and then just walks out the door and you know I'm just looking through the message trying to figure it out and I see my name next to the first CB and my stomach just absolutely drops um I had asked for it right and I wanted it I hoped for it but it still came as a shock kind of a you know what the hell have I gotten myself into kind of thing but for the most part it was really exciting and my wife and I enjoyed a bottle of Dom Perignon that night um, the second oh my god moment came the actual the day of change of command. I guess technically the morning after change of command. Um, at about zero two, my phone went off, and my XO relates to me that there you know was an, an allegation of a hazing incident involving three of my my NCOs out at twenty nine pumps. So this is less than twenty four hours after I had assumed command. I basically I have to make my first phone call to the division CG. This is. Um, General Eric Smith, and he's, you know, very big on, on squatching hazing where he sees it. So he was exceptionally gracious, and I think he kind of felt sorry for me that this, you know, this had happened on my first day. And, you know, I hang up the phone, I go back to bed, and my wife is like, is this going to happen every night? And I, I didn't even know what to say because I was like, I, I don't know. It might be. Um, it was not. It was not even remotely a normal thing. Uh, we didn't, I had very few wake up the general kind of nights, but it was very eye opening for my, you know, for my welcome to battalion command. And what was the funniest thing that happened um, while in command? Okay. I think the funniest thing to me is, is actually a story of abject failure. So I commanded a battalion of common engineers. So I come up with this competition that we're going to have a, a trebuchet competition and trebuchet, you know, it's like it catapults, but it uses a, a counterweight instead of a tension release. And so we're engineers, so we can build this. And so the battalion provides all the materials and then each company on its own builds a trebuchet. And then we have a, about equal size pumpkins and we were going to see which trebuchet could launch 
the pumpkin assignment. And whichever company that was was going to earn a 72. And my dad was ugly. So <laughs> each trebuchet got two shots to see which one could go the farthest. And at the end of the day, only one trebuchet shot actually made it beyond the starting line. And this was like, there are six companies. So this was 12 shots. One of them actually worked. And so it was, it was such a failure, but it, like the Marines really got into it. And, you know, like everyone just had to laugh at it because it was just such a pitiful showing of engineer capability. But it was a lot of fun. I, yeah, I'm going to have to ask for a photo of that or a video uh, <laughs> if that's available. Cause that, yeah, that's amazing. I think I'm going to be able to find it somewhere. But, I, I mean, one of them, it just launched it backwards. And, uh. <laughs> did they not <laughs> practice? Did, did um, they... <laughs> There was, there was a lot of fine-tuning that they had to do up the line. It was like part of it was you had to kind of build it and then carry it over. So I think there were just some some issues that they had on the line. So it you know it might have worked on the lot, but it didn't that well. They actually had to put it together on the spot. It's all right. We we learned some things that day. Oh, I, I bet that is a huge learning environment. Um, you know, uh, I mean, most of the things I've learned from were from failure. I've definitely learned how to act as an officer from making more mistakes or making those initial mistakes. Um, you know, I, I've learned what to say to the BC and what not to say. How, you know, phraseology is very important, just like, you know, PowerPointology. That's right. Yeah. What did you expect to occur in command or what was an expectation that you had going into command and then was a complete shock to you once you're in the seat and you're, you're busy commanding? I don't think, I guess anticipation for taking command, right? I, I think I fully expected that command was going to be challenging and it was like the, the town fluctuated between 1,200 and 1,300 Marines and sailors at any given time. And three to five platoons were deployed at any given time. Um, and then, you know, to cap it all off, we had a global pandemic towards the end of my time in command. Uh, so I think no matter what, command was challenging, and that was not shocking to me at all. Um, but it was also a lot of fun. And I still love my MOS, and I think our job is awesome, especially in the GCE. And I understand that as 100% totally biased, but... We get to train with explosive and heavy equipment, so I completely stick by it. Um, I would say the thing that shocked me, um, I think this is the lesson I learned that I really, I should have already known, but it's different when you're actually experiencing command for the first time. Um, and I think that is like, you really set the tone for your unit and for good or bad, it's gonna take on the personality of its leader. And so like, it's really important to do some self-reflecting and be confident in your vision and how you project yourself because you're always being watched and really you're being imitated in a lot of ways. And just like a small anecdote on this was I noticed my company commanders all became runners and they even like created this competition time trial for the, the San Mateo running pass. And so my buddy who replaced me, Seth Dewey, I wonder if they all became strippers after I left because that's kind of his thing. But that's a small example, but it kind of forced me to be very careful about what I said and what I did. And one of the things like when I was first in the seat, I, I knew I wanted to have a deliberate focus on maintenance. We're you know, a big unit with a lot of heavy equipment, but we struggled with our maintenance numbers. And I, you know, at a meeting I just mentioned offhandedly, 
that I was interested in how the vehicles were distributed throughout the battalion. And like the next day, I had a point paper on my desk with various colors, which is awesome. But that wasn't my intent. And so, like, I, I was I was pleasantly surprised by that. But I, I learned that I had to be very clear with what was truly a task and what was just me talking out loud, which is the way I was, you know, previously the way that I liked to discuss things. But, you know, you have to be careful when you're in command that you just talking out loud really becomes a task for someone else. And so, you know, at the end of staff meetings, it was like, XO, what did I task someone with? Just to make sure that everyone was clear with exactly what stuff I was just off the cuff. You know, I'm somewhat interested in this and some things that I actually wanted to, you know, put people's efforts towards. So I guess that was a little bit of a shock was just how much people take what you say and it's actionable. Yeah, no, the, the, I mean, the CEO's suggestion can be very much in order. Uh, just he, he never tells you directly to do anything or she doesn't tell you directly to do anything. But he just, you know, I, I would really like to know. I wish I had this information. Huh. Could anybody figure out? Yeah, th those questions um, uh, have kept me up, uh, up a night or two. Um, yeah, no, I, I would joke. You know, for a company, if you're a company grade officer and you say something like, wouldn't it be great if, and everyone's like, that's a beautiful dream, man. And then like, when you become a field grade officer, it's like that becomes a tax and you have to keep that in mind. And when you're a tiny mayor, it's 10 times worse. So you just have to be very careful with what you say. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, it, it's, I actually, I think every battalion and every commander is uh, maintenance. That's right. People's intents are what take up most of your time. Yeah, it's um, it, is it like, and I think we're going to see in the near future probably maintenance of computer systems. Like, is the cloud yeah. up? Is going to be a question. Like, why is my cloud down? Um, and that's going to be a weird thing to deal with because it's it, you know, but we're all domain warfare and, and going down that direction. And then I realized I've got one last last closing question. You spoke uh, to your alma mater, the Nunn School of International Affairs at Georgia Tech. They ran an article, and your closing advice was to, um, was to step out of your comfort zone and to seek mentors. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that um, for any junior officers or junior enlisted personnel or, or civilians or, or college students or academics, anybody who may be listening? Is there anything you'd like to add to that? Um, so I think on a couple of those points, like, don't be afraid to dream big. When I was, I, I can think back to when I was at command and staff, um, I was non-resident, and so I was a junior major, and one of the assignments was to write your battalion or your squadron command philosophy for the unit, for the future you and the unit that you wanted to command. And I wrote it for first CV, even though we were still several years away from that unit ever being, you know, being available for, for women to serve in. So... Like, I, I look back pretty proudly on that, that it was impossible at that moment, but I didn't really look at it that way. So because I didn't really see it as an impossibility, I think I was ready when it became a reality. And then just on mentorship, I, I don't make a single decision in the Marine Corps without consulting with, with mentors. And I have, I'm really lucky that I have some great ones. And it's just, you know, start collecting them when you can. And then it's just, you know, I think, Diversity is important in the, in the military. Diversity of thought is important. And so when you have kind of, you can get perspectives from 
some different folks on you know what's best for your career or what you should do in a certain situation. Um, and a different mentor will give you some different advice in a, in a way to think about it that you hadn't before. So collect as many of those as you can. Keep in touch with them so that you can reach out to them when you when you have you know something that you're struggling with. It's, it's a lonely Marine Corps. So the you know the more friends you have, the more senior you get, the better it's going to be. And then same thing, be a mentor for those that are coming behind you. And that's then I'm really proud of is you know that the officers that I've that have come behind me that that reach out to me for career advice. And that's just a way to kind of pay it forward from everything that I've gotten from my mentors. So collect and then be a part of it as well. Be a good mentor for those coming behind you. That's awesome. Give back to the give back to the institution um, to the next generation because the previous generation gave it to you. Right. Awesome. It's been a pleasure having you on the, the show today and I greatly appreciate you taking the time. Um, and I just want to say thank you for, for uh, sharing with us today. Thank you so much for having me and for, for going easy on me for my first podcast. This has been really fun. Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. This episode was recorded April 22nd, 2021. For more information about today's guests and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at tridentroompodcasthost at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash tridentroompodcast.